Welcome to our forum on the power of words. Um, basically, we wanted to attack this from an angle uh, that, would, that would pretty much apply to all of us. Um, and uh, just kicking it off with some interesting facts. Uh, you speak 18 to 25,000 words a day. Sorry, women, but you hit about 30,000, <laughs> especially when the man comes home. Um, with your words, you write a 54-page book every day. You spend uh, one-fifth or 25, uh, 20% of your life talking. Uh, to produce a phrase, about 100 muscles in the chest, neck, jaw, tongue, and lips must collaborate. Um, the sound waves set in motion by every voice go on in an endless journey through space. And if, um, and if we had the right instruments, delicate and sophisticated enough to collect those waves we could recreate every word every person has ever spoken. Um, so if we picture that, God has that machine. And um, the words that we speak have so much power. Uh, they have great importance. And it's a miracle to even be able to speak with all the different muscles and all the different aspects that come together. And yet we can all do it in this room. Uh, and there are some that struggle with that. Uh, but ultimately... It's, it's a miracle that we all have the ability to speak. So here's the video that we're, uh, we'd like to show that just sort of introduces the importance of words as well. pretty interesting video, I guess. Uh, as we were coming across, preparing for this topic, we came across the video and thought it was an interesting illustration of just sort of the way that words, when phrased in certain ways, can, can really have a different impact and carry a different meaning. Um, and we thought it kind of illustrated just the generic power of words. Uh, but as we were preparing for the topic, actually Brad came across this verse in 2 Kings. I mean, I don't know if you've read this story or not before, but we'll go over it quickly. This is, a, this is a Elisha. And he's on his way up to Bethel, and as he was going by the way, there came forth little children out of the city. 
As he was going, they started mocking him, and they said, Go up, thou bald head, go up. And he turned back to look at them, and he put a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Right after that <laughs> came forth two she-bears, so two female bears out of the wood, and they tore up 42 children. And then after that, he just kept going on to Mount Carmel. Like, no big deal, right? <laughs> um, no, like, think about it. So here's Elisha, right? And, and this really, this just took place right after Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. Um, and you know, you all know the story where Elisha asked him to uh, be granted with a double portion of the spirit. Um, and uh, Elijah's like, well, if you're there while I'm taken up in the whirlwind, you'll, you know, God will grant that to you. And, and we know that happened. So as he's on his way to Bethel, the story obviously passed around as rumors and things like that. And these, these, these children or these young people started mocking him and taunting him like, hey, yeah, let's see you go up, bald guy. You know, like, let's see you go up in a whirlwind. And they started taunting him. And, uh, you know, Elisha put a curse on him, and, and the Lord saw it fit that he would honor that curse because what, it would hap- what had happened was that Elisha took over Elijah's role as, as a prophet, and God, God sought just to, to put a curse as, as to ridicule Elisha was equivalent really to ridiculing the Lord himself. So just a kind of a story we, we thought as we came across we thought was really interesting and just something kind of sobering to think about. So there was, a, there was many different angles that we could tackle this forum from. Uh, we could have dug into uh, the power of words as written in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. We could have uh, attacked it from, you know, how to write an email effectively at work or something that was super practical. But um, the reality is uh, the spoken word is, is, is really one of the most uh, important aspects of this topic. And that's sort of what we wanted to focus on. There's power in, in the spoken word, and the Bible uh, resonates that theme um, right from the beginning when it, in Genesis 1 when God chose words uh, to create. Let there be or let us make. And then ironically enough, Satan also chose spoken words to deceive when he said, did God really say that or did God really mean that? Um, and, and, then, and then carrying on through the scriptures, when Jesus comes in, he announces his ministry and the reason he came by reading the Bible aloud. Um, in John 1, he describes himself as the word made flesh and the word of life. So obviously Jesus saw it fit that, that words were of the most importance. Um, and in Hebrews 12, uh, God's voice, uh, the sound of God's voice is described as, as something that shakes the heavens and the earth. So words are super important, and, and it's something that I think, uh, just starting with myself first, I, I take them more lightly than I should, especially being someone that talks a lot. Uh, so we hope that throughout this, uh, this topic, we really start to realize that everything we say matters, and, and God set the precedent with that right from the beginning and straight through the scripture. Thanks, Brad. Okay, so that's kind of a little bit of an introduction. Um, now we're going to get into a little bit more of the meat, kind of behind what the Bible says about words. Uh, as we we're preparing, came across Ch- James chapter 3. Looking at the book of James, I mean, this section here, verses 1 to 12, is sort of the, the highlight. I mean, it, it's the biggest portion in Scripture that actually focuses on the power of the tongue, the power of the, the, the spoken word. So it, we wouldn't be doing this topic justice if we didn't really cover this. So... I've gone through it and, and uh, you know, looking through it, I mean, there's five big reasons why we need to tame the tongue. James makes them clear. So, 
I want to go through this, this section of Scripture. If you want to open your Bibles, we can follow along with me. I want to do it verse by verse. I'm going to, I'm going to be reading in NKJV, but if, if you guys have KJV, the principles will come across the same. <clears throat> so just as a backgrounder on James, um, James is really sort of a... It, it, the book of James is a way that he comes across analyzing the life of a true Christian. He, he takes the time to look at different aspects of a Christian's life and what a true Christian looks like. You know, like when you go to a doctor, you say they check your eyes or they check your ears, they check your, you know, their, your mouth. They do all these things. And James here is, is taking this chapter and he's checking your tongue. And he's saying, what does the tongue of a true Christian actually look like? So let's go to the first verse. You want to flip to the next slide? All right. So it goes, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. <laughs> I got a picture of Judge Judy up there because she's a judge. <laughs> I was like, okay. But uh, I stopped here and I thought, okay, why is he starting off with teachers or, or masters? Be not many masters or teachers, it's translated. I was like, why, why would he focus on that thing first? Um, and then I stopped to think about it. People in positions of authority, people who teach, people who are um, looked up to for what they say. The, James is starting off saying, hey, we start at the top. The, the Lord is looking at, at what you say because what you say, you have a very high level of responsibility. Um, 1 Timothy 3.8 says deacons should not be double-tongued. Uh, in Hebrews 13, it talks about the responsibility of those that have to give to God an account to God on the day of judgment for the way that they gave direction and teaching to God's people. Um, and all throughout the Old Testament, it's just, it's littered with, with false prophets who would come before God's people and, and, and say, oh, the Lord surely didn't say this, the Lord surely didn't say that, don't listen to them. And you'd have Jeremiah and Isaiah uh, pleading with the people to say, heed not these false prophets, they're leading you into condemnation. And, and James is giving a very strict warning here, saying, look, if, 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 if you're in a role or in a capacity that... that uh, is propagating something that's not true, that's false, you're going to be held a lot more accountable for that. Um, and I know we, we had this discussion with the younger teens. Um, some of you may not really relate. You're like, Dennis, you know, why are you talking about teachers? I'm only you know, a teenager here, and it's not like I have a whole lot of responsibility. But if you stop and think about it, do you have younger siblings? How many have younger siblings here? Quite a few of you, right? How many of you, you know, teach Sunday school? Some of you guys teach Sunday school, right? How many are part of a Bible study or some sort of spiritual talk? How many of you guys evangelize? Who talks about God to their friends? Like, okay, I get the, you get the point across, right? Anytime you're really teaching somebody or talking to somebody about God, you have a responsibility to, to make sure you deliver the word accurately and you deliver it faithfully. So let's go to the second verse. For we stumble in all things... If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So now James is making a comparison with the tongue to our body. He says, look, we have weaknesses, right? We all fall in many ways. Some of us have other fleshly or lustly desires, pride desires of the heart, issues of the heart. But here he goes to say, if anybody doesn't offend with his mouth, he's actually able to control his entire body. And I'm like, again, I stopped and I scratched my head. I'm like, ha. Huh? What? How does that even make sense? Like, just because I can control what I say, I can control my whole body, like, that doesn't... I'm not really getting that. 
But after, after I, I went through this a little bit further, I, I realized, what, what is it that can stop our tongues? What can stop our speech? The mind, right? The heart, exactly. There's, there's these, it comes from within. But the bottom line is, if you want to say something, you can say it. Nobody is stopping you from saying anything you want at any time, wherever you want, to whoever you, whoever you want. Psalm 60, uh, Psalm, where is it here? I have it in my notes. Psalm 64, it says, The tongue is like an arrow. It kills at a distance. Without being anywhere near its prey, it can secretly shoot bitter words and lay snares on its blameless victims. You can be halfway across the world and slander somebody. You can start a rumor about somebody from anywhere in the world. They, they can't stop you. You can say anything you want. You can't do anything you want, though. You know, we're, 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 we're held back. We don't have all the resources or the capabilities to do everything we want. Maybe, you know, you got these terrorists and they want to go bomb a city or they're crazy, but they, they, they're, they're held back because of defense systems, right? But your, your mouth, you can say anything you want. So James is saying if you can control the greater sinning member in your body that sins the most often, the most potently, the, the, the most deadly, you'll, you'll be able to control your whole entire body. We'll go on to verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. So here James is going to go on to give us two examples of how, how the, the tongue has such a power to control our body. He uses the example of a horse. How many people have ridden horses before? I'm sure a lot of you guys, right? What good is a horse if you're on a horse, right? I said I wasn't going to ask the audience that question, but I just did. <laughs> so, how, so, so if you have a horse, right, and it's not tamed, what good does a horse do? You know, if, if you're on a horse and it's wild and it runs off on you, you, you can't really go anywhere. You're going to fall off the horse. And James is saying the same thing with our mouths. Our mouths betray us. It's, it's so easy for our mouths to, to just run off on us and, and take control of us. And, and if, as a result, how can we be led by the Spirit if, if that's the case, right? He's saying we need, to, we need to control our mouths because they will take control over us. Verse 4, second example he says, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So here's another example. A ship is huge, right? Ships, I don't know what they weigh, thousands or hundreds of thousands of tons. They're massive. And if any of you guys know much about ships, I didn't really know much, but the, the, the picture on the right there is their rudders. It's like a, it's kind of like just like a, a, a vertical piece of metal. And they just kind of turn, right, as, as the boat is, is, is traveling along. I mean, if you've been in a canoe, right, the same principle applies. The person in the back just needs to stick out their paddle, and they can kind of direct where the canoe goes. And, and that's the same example that James is making with the tongue. Although our bodies, right, our bodies, you know, were made of probably 90% water, but our tongue, right, our tongue is just the smallest little piece of our body. It's the smallest member of our body, yet it can control the whole direction of our life based on the words that we say. It's, it's so tiny. It's tucked away in our mouth. You know, it's, it's hidden inside our teeth, walled in inside our cheeks. You know, no wonder it's supposed to be kind of shut up sometimes, but I mean, it being such a small member, it, it takes control of, 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 our, of our pattern of our lives. So we have to make sure we have control of it. We go on to the next verse. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. <laughs> I like this one because I think this is a place where everybody kind of gets caught, right? It's getting at the issue of pride in our lives. Um, we love to talk about ourselves. We love to people 
to see us, to know what we can do, know our talents, our skills, our abilities. But um, our tongue loves to express that. And it's, it's just a natural thing that we, we, we have inside of us. And, and so we need to make sure that we, we, we keep, our, keep our mouth in check because our, our, tongue, our tongue's a braggart. And, you know, it'll turn away people when they see that, that, that power that uh, you're trying to express with, with, with your tongue. We'll go on to the next piece. See how great a little, see how great a force a little fire kindles. So behold, how great a matter of force fire kindles is how it's actually translated. We've got a picture of a, of a match here. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it, how many people are here from California? So there's a few, right? How does, the, how does the weather get out there in the summertime? Keep it pretty hot, right? And uh, what happens to, like, the ground, the grass? just gets dry, right? It's amazing to think that just a little, a little spark dropped or placed in the right place can just spread and spread and spread and can start consuming and just taking over everything. It's not like water, right? You know, if you have a cup of water and you just pour a glass of water, it just splashes and it doesn't make a big difference. It doesn't spread. It doesn't multiply. But the tongue is like a fire. The tongue, the tongue it, 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 it takes control and then it multiplies and it starts, it starts consuming everything in its path. And, and, and so James is making the illustration of a forest fire. Go to the next verse. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members... So is the tongue among our, among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. This is probably like the strongest verse in the entire Bible that actually refers to the power of the tongue. It's, now it went from, you know, it's power to control you, the responsibility that you have with your tongue, to now the fact that the tongue is a fire. It's actually something that represents the judgment that God will place upon those who can't, who can't tame their tongue. The word for fire is actually translated as Gehenna. Um, this, is a, this was a, a part of the southwestern valley of Jerusalem where they had a, it was the city dump. Back in the Old Testament, the Jews, they, they were worshiping the god Moloch. And part of that worship included sacrificing their children. So they would literally take their children, place the ch- their child on the altar and burn it alive as a sacrifice to their god. And... It was so despicable that once the Jews had returned from that and repented of that idolatry, they, uh, they came to hate this place. They, they, it was just like the most disgusting, disturbing place that, that they, they wanted to treat it as the way that they viewed it. And so they threw all their garbage in that valley. They threw all their, their trash, their refuse, and they just, it was a constantly burning valley of fire. And Jesus used this word to illustrate and represent the same type of condemnation that will fall on those who aren't able to control the tongue. And he illustrated it with, with, with this example of our mouths. The tongue being a world of iniquity. The tongue being the very member in our body that will, will, will condemn us. So, I mean, there's, this, this verse breaks itself down into to four parts. And I don't want to get too detailed, but essentially the first piece is, is, is that it's a world or system of iniquity. The fact that our tongue is really the focal point of our unrighteousness in our, in our flesh. It's, it's like this microcosm of evil. It's a network that just breeds and grows and spreads and, and starts to consume our entire lives if we don't take control of it. Um, the next piece is, is that it defiles the whole body. So just because we speak, the tongue's effect takes control of our entire being. When I was in college, I, uh, I was 
studying for exams, and my room in my in my room was pretty cold. Didn't we lived in an old house, and so I had a heater set up, and I would put my jacket, you know, over my my chair, and I'd have a heater behind me to keep me warm as I studied. And uh, the one day I was just kind of pausing and thinking about a problem, and I kind of smelled something funny behind me. So I, I look behind, and I see a flame shooting up behind me, and I immediately flipped out, and I threw my jacket on the, on the floor because it was caught on fire, and I stomped out the fire. And I was like, oh, no, my favorite jacket. Like, oh, this sucks. Like, I, I didn't care. I kept wearing that jacket. And <laughs> took it to school every day. People would give me funny looks, and then they would be like, hey, why do you smell so funny? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a, I cleaned up my jacket. I took out all the pieces, and they're like, no, your jacket stinks. And I'm like, Really? Like, what does it smell like? It smells like it caught on fire. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> but every time I wore that jacket, that smell never left, and it stuck with me. And that was the same, that's the same example James is making, that our tongue, it's like an odor that comes out of us. It's like something that you can't smell or you can't tell, but everyone else around you smells it on you. They, they see what you are like based on the words that you use. The third part here... Um, talking about setting on fire the course of nature. I mean, I think you guys get the picture, right? The fact that rumors or gossip, false accusations, lying, um, evil speech, all of these, these things that we, we can use our tongue for can destroy our families and our relationships with people. Um, so it's really just, James is getting at the point that our tongues can corrupt us. Next, next slide. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed by mankind. So here he makes an example of all the creatures that God has made on the earth. I mean, you look at this lion. We talked about horses, but this lion is pretty intense. Like, I don't know how they tame lions in a circus, like get them to jump through hoops and stuff like that. That's pretty impressive. But he, he's saying, you know, if you consider how, how such ferocious animals can be tamed, you go, go on to the next verse. He says... The, the tongue no man can tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So he's making that illustration. Like our tongues are so much more deadly than the, 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 the most fierce animal that, that you can possibly imagine. Because as humans, we've tamed them. But no man can tame the tongue. It's not in our own ability. We have to surrender our tongues to God and let him control our tongue and our speech. So the tongue is primitive to combat. It, it will fight back at every effort to control it. Next slide. <laughs> Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. Uh, these things ought not so to be. So this is the fifth piece here, perfidy to compromise. So perfidy being hypocrisy, duplicity, you know, a double standard, a way of compromise. You know, at one time we'll praise God and, and Jesus and we'll be worshiping, you know, at church or at, at home. And then the next minute, you know, our tongue will, will betray us and... We'll, we'll start speaking evil about somebody that we know or love. I mean, he, he's making the clear statement that our, our mouths, they, they run off on us, and we're hypocrites. They demonstrate our hypocrisy. Um, with that, I think, you know, that kind of comes to the end of it. Brad, I'm going to transition it over to you here. So we have a video, I think. Skip the video? All right. Thanks for uh, the explanation of James 3. So Dennis's portion is focusing pretty much on driving a point home. And, and what do you think that point is? Does anyone kind of, what's the conclusion of, of 
James 3. That's it. How powerful words can be and how, how deadly, um, how, how significant uh, the tongue is. And as Dennis said, I love that analogy. You know, we show a lion, we show, uh, you know, we, in my part I'm going to show a criminal behind bars. Um, the tongue is something that God, God has a bit of a sense of humor. He put the tongue behind the cage of our mouth because, uh, because it, it really is wild. And um, when, I, when I first started studying this, this topic here, I, I mean, I, I had studied James 3, and that sort of, uh, because of the big case that James builds, I sort of used that as my excuse. Uh, it's obvious. The tongue is, uh, is unruly. It's very difficult to tame. I mean, James said it a hundred times there. Um, and I would use that as an excuse for when, when I would allow my tongue to get the best of me. But... God showed me through our, through our uh, study here that this statement here on the screen is, is also true. That words are a, reflect, are a reflection of the heart. And that, that, was, that was a hard reality to, uh, to accept, but, but through, uh, through studying the scripture, uh, that, that's the conclusion I came to. And I, and I hope you all come to the same conclusion. So, uh, the, one of the main verses in my section is Proverbs 18.21, and this is, uh, this is a, good, a good verse for life for all of us. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So basically, uh, words give life or words bring, bring death. There, there's two directions to your words. Next. So you're at a crossroads, and, and, and we, we get to this crossroads uh, every time we open our mouth, pretty much. Um, and basically... Based on the verse before, we haven't really spoken a neutral word in our life. Every word that we speak has a direction to it. And, and when we sit back and really assess our words, I think we would come to that conclusion. At least, I see it in myself. You know, words of encouragement, words of hope, love, peace, unity, instruction, wisdom, correction, those are all headed in the life direction. Those are all headed in, in, uh, in the positive direction, whereas... Um, the word, there are a lot of words that speak death and, and, and when I say they speak death they, the result of them often leads to that um, anger, slander, jealousy, gossip, division, condemnation um, it's, I mean those are, those are dark words those are uh, parts of our speech that, uh, that are headed in the death direction next slide So this is a very common verse that we are all uh, comfortable with. And one thing I should mention um, before we get into this is, is based, on, um, based on that whole idea that words speak death or life, I want us all, if we take anything from this, to leave here realizing that what we say matters. Your words are something that are super important. And, and, and if, if that's one thing that you can just, just take away from that, uh, from this whole, this whole study... Ultimately, we need to realize that, that we're going to be held accountable for our words. Our words uh, reflect what's going on in here. Um, and ultimately, our words are, uh, are, are, are part of judgment. And so looking at this verse here, uh, For a good tree bringeth, forth, uh, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men's do, gather, men's do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. And this is where it gets kind of specific. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth fruit 
that which is good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. Key verse, or key part of the verse. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. And that's really how I came to the conclusion that, that words are from the heart. Words are a reflection of the heart. And Jesus taught this principle. Next slide. So, what is the heart? I, you know, he mentions it. Words are a reflection of the heart. Oh, okay. So, are we talking about this vital organ that's pumping inside our body? Uh, I mean, we know it's important. If, you, you know, if, you, if your heart fails on you, you're, you're going to pass away. You're going to die. But, but that's not what Jesus is getting at here. That, that's, not the, that's not the point. Um, what, what he's getting at is, is, is the heart. The theme of the heart through Scripture is the inner man. It's the core of who you are. It's, it's that deep, dark spot inside of you when you really think about it and you really ask yourself the tough questions that no one else can ask. That is the inner man. That's your heart. And, and, and ultimately, um, when Jesus says you're reflecting that, that's, that, that's it. So, so when I look at my words, and, and whether they're good or from speaking life or speaking death, um, I got I to gotta look at my heart and say, why am I speaking death? Where's it coming from? And this is, this, is the, this is the spot here. It's coming from the heart. Next. So, cute picture here. Um, how many of us have heard the saying, just follow your heart? I, I've heard that. I kind of live by that in some ways. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to go into, uh, <laughs> into the whole uh, scripture, the heart's desperately wicked, who can know it, because, because God reforms our heart. Uh, when he, you know, when, when we give our life to Christ, but um, the, the statement's true. Just follow your heart. What about stick with your gut? That's another one. Um, it, it's so true, guys. We we follow what's going on in here. Our 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 hearts are our compass. They're our GPS. They're our direction, uh, our directional device, and we truly do follow our heart. Now. What does this exactly mean? Um, well, basically, the verse says, uh, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So if we apply that principle now, these are some of the things that we're going to come to the conclusion of. Our hearts are driving what we're doing. It isn't our situations. It isn't our inf- influences are, are there, but they are not making uh, the determining the determining. Um, case, I guess, or the point in, in what we're saying. So, so basically, um, your behavior isn't caused by the situations or the relationships that are around you. I used to do that all the time, and I, and I still do that once in a while. Uh, you know, if I go off on someone or if I'm frustrated, oh, I'm just tired, I haven't got enough sleep this week, I'm sorry, I'm short-fused. I mean, that's, that's what we say. Um, but, but, but what Jesus is saying in the scripture is, what you say is a reflection of what's going on inside. Your experience is influenced, but they don't determine your behavior. Your behavior is driven by what's going on in here. And, and, and your speech is, is ultimately driven by that. Next. So, have you guys ever heard someone say, oh, I didn't mean that? Because that, I've, I've, I've heard that and I've said that. Um, said something wrong in an argument, oh, I didn't mean that, sorry. <laughs> that came out wrong. Um, just to paint a little picture, you know, ladies, I'm going to pick on you for a quick second here. So, you're, you're staying over at a friend's house, uh, 
it's your best friend or, or a very good friend, and you stay up late and you're starting to gossip. And we do it too. Guys do it too, all right? <laughs> you know what's going on in those dorm rooms, boys. <laughs> so, all right. So you're gossiping, right? And, you're, and, you're, and you're, you're, you're talking about someone else, but you're sharing it with an intimate friend. And you're, you know, did you see what so-and-so was wearing today? Like, oh my goodness, that was like ridiculous or whatever. Now, you, you share something in confidence and that bit of gossip or whatever gets out to that person. And that person now approaches you, and they're all angry, and they're in your face, and how dare you say that, and all that jazz, and she's right in your face. What's the first thing you're going to say? Oh, I didn't mean that. It came out wrong. <laughs> you know. But what you really should say is sorry for saying what I meant or what I felt, because that's ultimately what's going on. Guys, what you say is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. You should be apologizing for what's going on in your heart, not apologizing for, for it getting to the person or, or trying to you know, step around it and, and pretend like it didn't, really, it didn't really come out right. I mean, the point of the matter is this. Word problems are heart problems. If you've got a problem with your speech, um, if, it's, if your mouth's running off on you, you got to look at your heart. You can try to reform yourself. And a lot of you guys, they said 80% are, are I, w- I would like to say, um, seeking. You're, you're, actively, you're actively searching the scripture, uh, trying, to, trying to determine, uh, you know, where is God in all this and, and, and allowing God to reveal himself to you. If you're in that phase right now, and, and, and this is a part of your repentance, trying to change your speech, it starts here. So, you know, you could read a self-help book, you can uh, come up with all these little nifty tips, which I, I thought about maybe giving you guys, but the ultimate point is, it needs to start here. You've got to ask God to change your heart. You can't change your speech on your own. That's, it's going to come from God. But you need to realize that the point uh, and the source is uh, from, from the heart. So, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. All right, so we're switching gears here really quickly now. Um, This is where the rubber meets the road. I know we've gotten a little bit uh, theoretical. I know I belabored James 3 a little bit and uh, maybe got a little deep into the issues of the heart. Now we kind of want to turn it into a bit more practical. Like, what does this mean to you guys, right? Because how does this, I mean, in our day and age, in our, you know, at school or whatever, we want to know the issues that you face, so we want it to apply to you. As we come through some of these things, we, feel free to op- like raise your hand if you have questions or if, you, if we miss something that you think uh, is relevant and you want to share something, we're open to that, okay? So, uh, Brad, I believe this is you. Section one. <laughs> so, yesterday when we did this, we did it with 13-year-olds, and it, it was, this was more geared towards, towards our generation, or towards our age group. Uh, you know, later teens, uh, young adults... Um, this is, this is really about us, guys. Um, and, and this is what I'm even going through now in my life as a, as a young Christian as well, similar to you. So Corinthians 1.13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13.11, uh, Paul points out how your speech should be changed uh, when you become a man or, or a woman, but I'm going to talk about men in this section. And, and this verse, we all know, but it applies so much to speech. It really does. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. I love that. I don't always do it, but I love that verse. Um, There's little things that I used to say and sometimes I still say. 
And I threw two of them up on the board there because personally, um, they were silly. And, and, and I said them and I didn't really under, understand them or I didn't really mean them, I should say. The first one is, and it's just an example, but it's uh, using the term, that's so gay, which we all do. It's our, I don't know why our generation is pretty weird, man. We got some weird little things we say. But, you know, it's raining outside, and, and, I, and I guarantee you someone on this campus said this yesterday. It's raining outside, and they walk outside, ah, oh, that's so gay, it's raining. <laughs> so let's step back and think about this, guys. Is the rain homosexual? No. You know, it's, it's, it's silly, but we say these things. We say these dumb little things. Uh, and men, I think we, we, we get caught up in this a lot, and that's why I'm bringing it up with us. Um, something that's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's inappropriate, and, and especially in the workplace, you're going to catch yourself, if you guys want to become professionals someday, a saying like, uh, like that's retarded. Not good. <laughs> I know we say it sometimes. Again, it's silly. Um, it, it's something that will stick with you for a long time because you're, you're used to saying these, these things. And, and you're, you're going to find yourself at one point in a boardroom with, a, with a, you know, a bunch of senior executives as the new intern, and you're going to say something like, that's so retarded, and they're all going to look at you and like, oh my goodness, look at this guy. <laughs> so, again, this is, this is, this is, we, want to, we want to bring up these things um, because they, they, are, they are important to change when you, when you give your life to God. Swear words, another one. Now, when you're young, it's cool. When you're older, it's just habit. And I know in this room, uh, for those that, that, that have a problem with this, and I'll, be, I'll admit, this is something I struggled with for a long time, and, and to this day, when I, when I am in a, in a bad situation and I'm worked up, it definitely is still a struggle. And I'm a, I'm a born-again believer, and I'm admitting it to all of you. Now, um, this, is, this is something that you can change now that will help you when you become my age, or 30, or 40, or whatever. Because the last thing you want to do is drop an F-bomb as a parent. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, 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 that would be super embarrassing, and that would just be totally inappropriate. But the point is, guys, we say, we say things, we speak um, corrupt language and, and, and just getting to the, uh, to, the, to the core verse here sorry I'm trying to find it uh, in Ephesians so Ephesians 4 uh, 29 let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but use that which is good to, you, to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to you unto your hearers um, you got to start thinking about how do I change my speech around you know what are, these, what are the silly things I'm saying in my life that I got to get rid of, man. I got to stop describing the rain as that's so gay. I got to I got to stop, uh, you know, swearing perpetually. And and trust me, if you're a, if you're a Monday to Friday swearer and you come to church, you're not alone. That's what most people do in the church. You, how many of you in this room? And you don't have to raise any hands, but just to ask answer this question for yourself. How many of you spend you know Monday to Friday nine to five swearing, and then you go home and you're like cured, man? There's no problems. That's, that's it, man. That's the, that's the, that's the church. That's, that's where we're at right now uh, in, in our youth. And that's got to stop. When you become a Christian, your, cha- your speech needs to change. We're, we're called to be the salt of the earth, right? Well, what good is the salt if it's lost its savor? And, and that, is, that is strictly um, reflected by the way you act and the way you speak. 
So men, I, I think it's time that, you know, and I'll speak to myself first, that we, uh, we embrace uh, godly living in a way in our community where we can be a reflection of God. Like, it's, it's time that young guys can be cool and not be cool by, you know, saying dumb little sayings or swear words. That we can just be, you know, we can, we can express ourselves without using curse words. So, just a couple little things to think about. Sorry, it's a little awkward. So Brad gave me the girls part to do. What do I say? Well, I guess in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.13, he sort of sums this one up. Um, points out a, a common struggle for women. Um, and he's speaking about widows here, actually, in proper context, but it still applies to, to women of all ages. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So, here he goes on to kind of point out the weakness that some of these women were having about, you know, going from house to house, busybodies, meaning literally one who moves around, you know, like moving around, shuffling around, sticking their nose in some, somebody else's business where it doesn't belong, and then passing that information on to another um, you know, speaking things which they ought not. They're not becoming of really godly, godly women. Um, Titus 1.10 refers to idle talk, uh, who's, again, women whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, so they, they teach their entire their households, their children, teaching them things they shouldn't. Um, they, be, they desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they even affirm. You know, a lot of this comes down to just talking for the sake of talking. You know, have you ever met somebody who just loves to blah, 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 you know, and like, you're like, when does this end? You know, where is this conversation going? You know, it's not, it's really, it's pointless chatter that doesn't build or head in any direction. And I think, you know, a lot of us fall into that kind of category where we just want to just, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing really on their mind but just, Everything seems to just come out for some reason, and there's no, you, you walk away from the conversation feeling like that was, that was pointless. You know, we didn't, didn't get anywhere with that. I think the other aspect here comes down to um, taking the Lord's name in vain, the whole OMG thing, right? Um, you know, we, we use this one a lot. Um, sometimes we probably use it undercover with our friends, you know, because worldly people like to say, oh my God, and we'll say OMG, you know, just to sort of relate with them, but... Words, what are we really meaning when we say that, right? We could say, oh, it's just, oh my gosh, you know, no big deal. But Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, makes this pretty clear. Ten commandments to Moses. This one was the third. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I, I, I read that, I stopped, and I'm like, I've, I'm, I've been guilty of saying that before. I know, you know, but before... You know, when I was a younger Christian and I was a little bit ignorant about what it meant to really honor God's name, I thought, well, taking his name in vain, you know, I know I shouldn't say that, but my friends are around. I just throw it out there, you know, fit in. It's okay, right? They'll understand. God understands. And then he says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I mean, this is serious. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? I'm going to pose that to the question, the question to, to the audience here. What does it mean? Yeah. Doing it for the wrong reasons? Yep. Okay. There's no purpose to it? Okay. Yep. See, 
rendering, taking something in vain really means to render that object or that person or that thing really worthless. Vanity is something that's just something that's common. So when you take God's name in vain, you take his name, which is high, holy, and to be revered and respected above everything, and you bring it down to the ground as if it's just something we, we use and refer to on a regular daily basis, and it's nothing special. You're taking the value away from his name. What did Jesus pray when he was teaching his disciples? What did he say? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I don't know we always, I don't know if we really realize the seriousness of that. Um, the Lord's name is to be used always in the context of worship, of prayer, of adoration, of utmost respect, and never to be taken lightly because he will not hold you guiltless if, if you take his name in vain. And Jude 15 refers to the judgment of God who will execute on all ungodly men of all their ungodly deeds, of all of the things that they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken about him. Psalm 139.20 says, Your enemies take your name in vain. God's people don't take his name in vain. God's enemies take his name in vain. If we're children of the king, we need to respect his name. We need to honor his name. And we, we, we should never be abusing it and bringing it down to something just at a common level. And I know we have up here other issues related to ladies staying at a friend's house and, and gossiping, and these are some other issues, but Brad already mentioned that. So um, I think we'll move on to the next section here. So this is a whole other kind of area of, of, of speech that we don't always consider. It's, it's our reputation. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver or, and gold. One of the biggest ways our reputation is, 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 is really formed these days is online. I mean, how many people here have a Facebook account? You don't have to put up your hand if you're embarrassed, but go ahead. I mean, I'm sure most people do. I did at one point, and, um, you know, I, I still do. I deactivated it. It's been a little while, but, you know, I'm not a hater, whatever. It's all good. But I've found that, you know, um, the things you post online really portray who you are as a person, right? They'll... It's seen by everybody. I mean, and we know today's, in today's society, technology, it records everything. I mean, I've heard it said, um, you know, when the Twin Towers exploded and people were trying to make phone calls, their phone calls were disconnected because they, you know, they mentioned the word bomb or terrorist and all of a sudden they lost their connection or, or other things popped up. They were, you know, searching something online and automatically something got cut out. And it's like, you get a little curious, like, do we even have privacy anymore? You know, you think you post something online and it's, you know, it's secret or you, only your friends can see it. But the truth of the matter is the government is really intense about security these days. We all know that. But everything is recorded. You might say something online and try to delete it later, but it might come back to haunt you. And, and trust me, all of that stuff, there's, there's databases that secure that. But, I mean, even beside all of that, God knows what's in your heart. And he sees... And people see what you, what, you, what you post. I kind of debated about going into this subject, actually, before presenting here. Um, but it's something that has kind of come up, and I don't want to make it a big deal. But I know online, you guys have probably heard, you know, the, the Twitter page, ACC problems, ACC memes, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I hear some coughs. Um, 
I get it. You know, I've been on there. I've, I've read some of the posts. I thought they're funny, right? But I think for those of you that don't know what it, what it is, I mean, obviously a lot of the comments relate to our church, right? They relate to people in our church, issues in our church. They're things that kind of poke fun at the holes and the weaknesses that we have as a body. And I, I try to think about what God would feel about this if, you know, as he's looking down from heaven, what's, what's his take on this? What is his desire for us as a, as a body of believers in our church? You know, I, a lot of the things may be lighthearted and just, you know, out of good fun. And it may unite a body that is in the same, keeps the same mindset on those issues and they agree with one another. But really the focus is negative. A lot of times the comments are, are, are divisive, you know, and they create schisms. They create, they create you know, separate, separate groups within the body and, and really, they're really inconsequential issues. You know, they're not, they're not issues that relate to things that really matter pertaining to salvation. They may be something about how long your skirt is or your head covering or whether, you know, you got no one else to propose to but your cousin in the church, you know, like, that's all funny stuff, but, I mean, if we really respect our church, if we respect our body and the people that we attend church with, uh, let's not, let's not pull ourselves down. We're better than that, you know. We know what our issues are in the church. We know the problems that we face, and we're the generation that's coming up next. We'll be able to address them as we, as we grow and mature. And I know all of us, I know all of us care about our church. I mean, as many problems as there are in the church, it's not worth, it's not worth ruining our reputation and worrying, ruining our own church's reputation. Let's, let's stay together as a body. And, and that comes back to our reputation as an individual. And are you contributing to that? Brad? Okay, Brad will come up and do his section then. Thank you, Dennis. So this last part here is uh, just sort of what we wanted to finish up with. Uh, I know we're, we're just a couple minutes over here, and we'll, we'll try to get you all to lunch. Um, but this is something that it, it applies to you right now, um, and, and it's so important. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. But yet, when someone uses the wrong tone with us, the first instant or our first instinct is we snap. We jump back. But we know this. We know that, you know, a soft answer turneth away wrath. And yet, we let our temper get the best of us in some cases. The Bible also, in Proverbs uh, in chapter 18, brings up this verse. And this verse, I don't know if you've ever, I discovered it just through this study, and I don't know if any of you have ever read it. But this, to me, it, when I was... 15, I wish, I wish someone would have shared this verse with me. And here's, here's how it goes. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Guys, we'll start with the first part there. So we'll say a brother, we'll say a friend. A friend that's hurt is harder to be won back than a strong city. And I know when you're younger... Uh, and I know even for myself, I have to keep reminding us of this. Sometimes we get worked up and we're like, ah, whatever. It's just, it's, you know, I don't need that person. I don't need that to have that friend. Or, or, you know, we say something wrong and we create this division between us. And we put this brick in the wall. And, and maybe it happens once or twice more and you build this wall up. And before you know it, that person is checked out. They're, 
you know what, they've sized you up, they know who you are, and they want nothing to do with you. And, and I speak from experience because I had a couple of friends that I probably overstepped my boundaries with one too many times, and that was it. So that's the first part. The second part is, uh, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Relationships, that's what this is all about here at the end, and, and how the spoken word affects your relationships. And, and we all have relationships with our siblings or our parents, um, and I, I, think, I think one thing that probably most of us do is we take those relationships for granted. You know, your, your mom wants you to be home at a certain time and she's nagging and you're like irritated because you just want to stay at Starbucks and hang out with your friends or, or, or maybe it's more serious. You're, 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 you want to party and your mom's keeping an eye on you and she doesn't trust you or your dad doesn't trust you. And, you know, you start to get into this relationship with them where it's like, it's just constant bickering, fighting. You know, you can never really have a conversation with your parents. And what you're doing, and what Satan's doing with the two of you, is he's working you like puppets. And he's building a, a jail cell in between the two of you. Bars of a castle. And, and what, what's going to happen over time is those bars are going to become so set in place that you're not even going to be able to get out. And I, I fear that too many of us in, in our generation, because we are a know-it-all generation, think that we know more than our parents or maybe our aunts, uncles, whoever, and because of that, we don't, we don't take them seriously and we build these barriers between each other. The problem is when you get later on in your life, and I'm starting to see it now, I don't want those barriers there. I love talking with my parents now. The relationship I have with my dad is, is, is incredible, but when I was, when I was 15, oh man, you can ask Andrea, <laughs> it was a battle zone in our house sometimes. And it was because of my attitude and maybe my dad's short temper, but the reality is, <laughs> I still got the attitude. It doesn't, doesn't go that easy. But the point is, we're building relationships with, with people every day, and it's, it's so easy to just decide not to say it. You know, my wife always reminds me, what do you always say, Jessica? She can't, well, maybe I'll just say it. She always says, and I'll read it here, because... Wow, I can't even remember it specifically. So, but I, wanna, I don't want to get it wrong. She goes, Brad, it's better to regret not saying something than saying something and regretting it later. It's better to regret not saying it than saying it and regretting it later. Did I get it right? <laughs> Give me a nod. All right. So, and that, that really, to me, she introduced that to me two years ago, and, and I've sort of, She's brought it up once in a while when I get worked up. It's so true, though, guys. Rather than saying the thing, just, just hold your tongue for a second, right? Don't break those relationships with your parents. And if you have broken them up until now, because I'm talking to, you know, mature, uh, mature teenagers or young adults, you probably have broken some barriers. But, you know, go back in repentance and fix those relationships with your parents. It's going to make so much of a difference when you're older. I can tell you, like, to not have my parents in my life right now as a young married guy, um, it, it, would, it, would be, it would be pretty bad. Because I definitely go to them for advice a lot of times. Um, and and, and it's, it's, I mean, it's so important uh, to have that healthy relationship. So basically, if you could take anything from this portion of it, I would say, think before you speak. Um, decide if it's worth saying. And if you do say something wrong, 
go back and apologize. At the end of the night, you know, before you're going to bed, if you're sitting in bed looking up at your ceiling and thinking, I really should go say sorry, just do it. Don't, don't wait. And if in the morning you wake up after you've cooled off, because that's usually what happens with me, I'm all fired up at night, I go to bed, I'm angry still, <laughs> sitting in my bed, and I wake up and I'm like, wow, I was an idiot last night. I was, I was out of line. That's the opportunity. That's the spirit prompting you. Go back. Make it right. It's your only opportunity. You know? So take it. Don't let the barriers come between you and your uh, important people in your lives. All right. So Brad wants me to conclude. So really, I think this verse in James sums up a lot of it here. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every band be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I mean, it goes against what we want to do, but if we, actually, if we actually took that to heart, I mean, we'd probably save ourselves a lot of trouble, right? Finally, brethren, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Like we've been sort of saying this whole topic, this whole, this, whole, this, whole, this whole afternoon here, your words dictate your destiny. Your words will prove whether you're a true Christian or not, and your words will actually determine whether you go to heaven or to hell. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's not just me trying to impress you or, or scare you. Um, so, I mean, I think that sort of sums up really the, the gist of what we've been trying to get at here um, and I, I, there's one more verse here I think I failed to mention, but, you know, James says, a, does, a spring, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapefruit, grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. He's saying, if you're a real Christian, your speech should show it. Um, so I hope that's on all of your hearts this week, for the rest of this week at camp as you go back home, and, uh, and for the rest of your lives. Thank you for attending this forum, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon, everyone.